All right. Well, my name is Tyler Hardy. I'm the senior pastor here at Antioch, and um, uh, we are in a series called Seek First, and we're unpacking uh, one of the greatest teachings by Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so whether you've been watching online or if you've been trekking with us here on Sunday morning, we're going to continue that here in a few moments. But before we do, I just want to, uh, I have a, a confession to make, <clears throat> if you don't know, which is I really love Aggie football. And uh, yesterday was a great start to the year. We had a couple of misfires, but overall we got the W, so I'll take it. And, um, and uh, you know, the way it goes to the Hardy House is this, in the fall, Saturday night, no matter what we've done that day, if it's a baseball tournament or we're working in the yard or something happening, when we get back home Saturday night, dad's recorded the A&M game, okay, whether it's the morning or whatever, because I got lots of kids, it's hard to watch football and you got lots of kids, just, you know, be prepared for that later on in life. And um, so we usually wait till everybody's gone to bed except for me and the boys. Ashley doesn't really care to watch football. That's okay. So um, what happens is we got two couches in this chair. So usually Graham snuggles up on one couch, gets blankets, and then I'm on the other couch and usually eating something. And then Ethan's just kind of got lots of energy and he's just kind of hanging out, just really into it, you know? And so usually Graham falls asleep about after the first quarter. Um, and then Ethan's awake the entire game. And I usually pass out somewhere in the third. So I don't know if we win or lose until usually Ethan wakes me up, says, Dad, look at us, we won, you know, whatever. So that's how it went last night. And um, uh, it was awesome. So I woke up knowing that A&M won. So I don't know how the game went, but I think it went well, apparently, <clears throat> that we won. And just on a personal note, um, if you were at the game, you got to be part of something really cool yesterday, obviously, with the red, white, and blue out. And I was thinking, you know, my freshman year was 2001. And I remember going to that game right after 9-11, red, white, and blue out against Oklahoma State. And it was incredible. It was the week of some students got together and said, hey, 9-11 just happened. What are we going to do to show support in our country? And these guys got together and printed a bunch of shirts. And there were five bucks and just people, it was kind of understood, hey, if you're going to go third deck, second deck, first deck, and we got to organize, and it was awesome, but that was 20 years ago, and so just personally touched me seeing that scene last night on TV, if you were there, you're part of something special um, yesterday, and to say that, man, you should be proud that you're part of this community and part of this university, whether it's A&M or Blinn, I was a Blinn Buccaneer as well my freshman year, uh, took some classes over there, so I can celebrate both, uh, but man, we are blessed to be in a town like this. We got our own problems, but overall, we also want to highlight the good. And uh, there's, um, uh, there's uh, just an incredible sense of, of people saying, hey, we want to do things together as a family. And if you're new as a freshman, you'll get roped in the Aggie Network eventually. So that's kind of the way it goes. Um, all right, well, um, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, this is, I believe, week three. I think we're on week three. Of this series. So if you missed the first two weeks, no, I didn't skip over. You just missed it, all right? So <clears throat> here we go, jumping into verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Yikes. I mean, that's kind of intense. Jesus has come out of the gate here. Did he just say, this is like iconic 
flowy hair, super nice guy, loving Jesus. And all those pictures you saw in Sunday school, the poster of different Jesus figures, remember? He's just saying some pretty intense words here, okay? So let's unpack it before we all get offended, okay? So um, remember the context for the Sermon on the Mount is a couple things. One, there's a bunch of people there, okay? We know there were disciples. These are people that Jesus had just uh, recently recruited to follow him, to walk with him. You also have the scribes and Pharisees were no doubt mixed in this crowd. They would always kind of hang around and hearing what Jesus was talking about because he was really disrupting their kind of religious system at the time. So they were trying to figure out who this guy was. And you also had the crowds, which would just be a bunch of people like us and others that are just there listening and hearing. So Jesus knows his audience and so he's speaking directly to them. And what's amazing about Jesus is every time he's speaking, it connects the dots to everybody. Isn't that incredible? Like when you read the parables, you can find him talking to you. Like in every parable, you have to decide which one am I? And sometimes it's kind of a scary thought. It's like, oh, am I that guy? You know? But Jesus is so incredible at speaking to the people. And when he's talking here, we're about to see today, is that he's going after some things that the scribes and Pharisees had made been teaching. Now, you need to understand that part of these crowds, many of these people were not very educated, meaning they maybe didn't have the ability to read and write, didn't learn them. Now, the scribes and Pharisees would be the educated crowd at the time, okay? And so, just like when... Um, um, just like in, uh, when, when, when the Catholic Church was birthed in Europe, okay, and they started putting in uh, churches and everything else across Europe, remember in the days before the Bible was translated into English, everyday language, okay, for many people, or French or Spanish or German, it was only in Latin. And so many of the people would go to a church service, would go to mass, or would talk to a priest, and all they knew is what the priest told them, but they didn't have access or the ability to actually read the Bible for what it said, so the priest could have actually told them anything. This is what the Bible says. It could have told them been lying to their teeth. Or they could have said, they could have said something, but maybe twisted it a little bit. Or maybe added a little something to it. Does it make sense? It's kind of like when we tell a story. No, man, I shot that deer, and it, had, it was a huge wreck. It was, just, it was like, and the first time you tell it, people's jaws aren't dropping. So you're like, okay, I need to hand this story up a little bit. Next time you're like, no, no, it was like, here, bro. And then people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a little give or take. And in your mind, it's not lying. It's just a little give or take. It's a way to embellish, right? Embellish is lying, right? And so, um, so we kind of, we do that too, right? We tend to take something and kind of stretch a little bit, right? And so the Pharisees and scribes at this time, they would maybe stretch some things, right? And, and, and then some things they'd make even stricter than what they were, and other things would actually lighten the load. They would say, hey, let's just ease up on that one, right? So when it came to the laws and commands, that's what Jesus is speaking to when he's going for certain topics, okay? So let's first talk about this passage right here. Let's talk about the word liable, right? Or liability, okay? It's one who is bound or under obligation to something. So when Jesus says you are liable to judgment, it means you are bound to judgment, obligated to that. Um, he says, if you insult someone, right, you're liable to the council. Speaking of the Sanhedrin, which would have been their kind of, in that day, their court system, their council, then determine cases, right? They'd hear the arguments of witnesses and so forth. Or you'd be bound to, you're liable to the hell of fire. So this is, so when you think, oh wait, you're talking about you're bound to, this isn't like a suggestion 
It's not an option. It's not like an invitation. It's you're bound to it. He's making a very serious case here for what? It matters what you say. It matters what you say. And it matters what you believe and what you feel. You see, the, the reference here when we talk about anger, right? He's saying you shall not murder, right? That is one of the Ten Commandments. Anybody know, anybody know which one? Thou shalt not murder? Come on, people. I'm going to go back to Sunday school. Six. It's the sixth one, okay? Thou shalt not murder. That's a biggie because in today's culture, that'll get you life in prison, okay? So thou shalt not murder is the sixth commandment, okay? His people knew the Ten Commandments. They were aware of this commandment, and so he speaks directly to it. That's from Exodus chapter 20, if you're wondering. So it's the sixth commandment. Now, the teachers of the law, the scribes and Pharisees at time, were noted of teaching things that maybe would have been, hey, you can't murder, but he didn't say you can't do things leading up to murder, right? So like, well, there wasn't a law against beating somebody up. Murdering, yes, but beating them, right? Now, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, the Israelites get out of Egypt, right? They're free, but now they need clarity, right? And let me just say, um, people that are free do need structures and standards. Freedom is not good if there are no basic laws and commands and structures for society. Everybody goes crazy. If you don't believe me, raise little kids with no structures, no rules, and see how that goes. It'll be terrible, okay? The younger you are or the more immature you are, the more handrails you need. Does it make any sense? The tighter things need to be for someone when they are young or immature, and then you give them more leeway over time because they've proven themselves trustworthy, right, to actually follow through without the handholding. That's why in high school, you usually, I don't think you walk in lines from class to class with hands behind your back. But you do that in elementary school. Why? Do you wanna, do you wanna see a bunch of kindergartners not walking in lines? It is chaos. It would be chaos, okay? If you don't blame me, have a kindergartner, then you'll know. So Jesus is talking about the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Now, but he's speaking to something more intentional to the heart, right? And so when Moses goes up to that Mount Sinai, do you think that God spoke to him? God wrote on these tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and said, hey, that's it. Do everything else, just don't murder. Now, do you think that was God's intention? Beat them up, abuse them, set their hair on fire, don't murder. No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. But that's what people got taught over the years. Anything short of that, hey, it's okay. So it became this big gray area, right? Now, anger, right? We're talking about the kind of anger Jesus is getting at in this new era, in the kingdom, is he's saying, hey, it's the anger of the heart. Because something that starts here eventually comes out here, right? We know it festers here. You don't just wake up tomorrow morning, all of a sudden, just completely angry at someone and want to murder them. You don't just like wake up like, huh, today's Monday. Who am I going to? You don't do that. Okay? Go, go through any cases throughout history of mass murders. There's always a buildup. It's never like it was Wednesday, ate a bad hot dog, decided to murder. That didn't happen. I'm being serious. And just, you know, that's actually all sin. 
you don't just wake up and just like choose to go down this wicked path. It's, it builds over time, little by little, little by little. That's why we have to have attention to detail. That's why Jesus is going to talk to us today about tending our heart. If you don't tend to this, the soul, the inner world, the inner mind, if you don't tend to this, y'all, it will lead to murder. And one day you'll be looking, you'll be like, how'd I get here? Well, we can say, well, that started 12 years ago. You never dealt with that. That festered, that grew, it turned into this, it morphed into that, you kept it hidden, you had a good disguise, you still smiled even though you were hating life and the rest of it, and then eventually it just kind of came out. That's what Jesus is talking about, tending to our heart. Now, he says, um, he says, whoever says to someone, whoever insults them, another transition would be raka, right? Saying the word raka, right? That's an ex- that, um, that expresses contempt for someone's intelligence. Modern day, you're worthless. Worthless as a human being, right? Some uh, historians believe that that term raka was derived from the action of spitting upon someone. So when you spit on them, it's, I mean, that's very degrading, right? If you do that in Texas, I would love to see you spit on another man's face at the store and see what happens to you. It won't go well for you. He won't be coming back with spit. Do you know what I'm saying? There's not going to be spitting on, that's not going to happen. That won't happen. Not here. It's a spit and then it's a knuckle sandwich, right? I mean, that's, that's what it is. Okay. So. But this is what people do. They literally spit upon people, right? Degrade them. And Jesus saw this. He saw this in his day. People would spit upon this, this poor person, this lame person, this person who's maybe not as smart or whatever. They would spit upon them, degrading them. Then he, then they, and then he would say, hey, if you said fool, right? This whole idea that when you say fool to someone, let me, why does he say you're liable to hellfire? Because it's kind of like, wait a second. The rocker thing, it's, it's the counsel, the anger in your heart, but fool, fool liable to hell, hell, like the hell, not like a pretend hell, like the hell for saying you're fool. You know, several years ago, I had the chance to disciple a, a young man, a college student at A&M, and um, he was in leadership at A&M, and we would meet, and I remember we met at Starbucks one time over, over by the court dorms on campus, and um, I said, hey, man, what, what, are you, what do you want help with in life? Where do you want to grow? He said, well, man, you know, someone told me today, said I shouldn't curse so much. I said, okay. I said, well, what do you think? He said, I don't know. I said, he's, I said do you think you should curse? He said, I'm not so sure. I was like, well, you're starting to read the Bible and stuff now and following Jesus. I said, what do you think he has to say about it? He's like, I don't know. I said, okay, well, let's meet back next week. I want you to go home. And you got one week, you got Google as your friend, okay? You got one week to research everything the Bible has to say about our words. Doesn't matter. I don't want you to get just from someone, it just doesn't even matter. Is it a big deal? What's the big deal with words, right? He researches, comes back. He's got a printout of three pages of every verse he could find that has to do with our words. He said, Tyler, I feel so convicted. I said, well, why? He said, man, the Bible is full of stuff talking about your words really matter. He just went through them. This and that. And that. Don't let a word fall to the ground. And I was like, so what are you going to do about it? He said, man, I'm done. I said, don't what? I'm done cursing. Why are you done cursing? Because the word of God says it's a big deal. I don't want to do it anymore. 
that young man changed. I didn't change him. This changed him. Let me help us out here. When you want someone to change for life, your inspirational coaching, your good talks, your parenting, the rest of it, only goes so far. A life change happens when you get this. Because you know what that is? That's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, partnering with the Word of God to bring about a conviction resolve that changes you no matter what anyone else says. Do you understand me? Um, so our words matter. And I believe he's saying that when you call someone fool, you're liable to hell of fire because fool is literally an indictment on that person's character. That person was made in the image of God. Every one of you are image bearers, according to Genesis 1, 2 and 3. Story of creation, right? God created them, them, male and female, in his image. Every time you spit upon someone, every time you curse them, every time you cut at them, you are doing that upon an image bearer. They may not know they're an image bearer, but you know. Does it make sense? That's why it's such a big deal. You're literally degrading a creation of God. It's, it's degrading him. That's why it's a big deal. When you understand the context, it's like, oh, I probably should stop saying, hey, yo, fool. I should probably stop saying, you idiot, moron, whatever else words you can use. Because you know those words will cost you. They'll cost you. I believe fully in this life. Once you know Jesus Christ and you know his ways, for you choose to go counter to that, I don't know what he's gonna do with that in the end, but let me just say it'll be costly. You will regret it in the end. Do not think because I'm saved and I can do whatever I want, ask for forgiveness later. That's a wicked thinking. A lot of people thought that too and Jesus came against them. Once you are saved, there should be a turning about. That guy discipled did not know cursing was a bad deal. Once he learned it, he changed. But not because a friend or because of a girl he likes should stop cursing. That only lasts till that girl stops dating you. Does it make sense? Jesus is getting at the heart of the matter. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. He goes on, if you're offering your gift, so with this in context, right, the statements we just read, he says this. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Meaning it's more important to be reconciled to your brother than to maybe perform a religious duty. Service to the Lord does not justify our broken relationships with one another. And when he says the word brother, he's not referring to only like your Christian brother, Christian sister, or blood family. It's actually more humanity. It goes broader than that. Like when he says love your neighbor, he's not saying literally your neighbor on your street. He's saying neighbor, by the way, is inclusive. So there's like seven billion-ish neighbors. Right? And then he goes on to say love your enemies because all those seven million people aren't your friend. Some of your enemies. But it goes on. So Jesus is like, I'm calling you to a higher standard that, by the way, is impossible apart from me. You can't love your enemies apart from having the love I have for them. Even though they're broken and wicked and doing terrible things, I still love them 
and I'm waiting with open arms if they ever return. That's gotta be our heart. If not, guys, then what we've said to God is only certain people can be redeemed. But once you've gone this far, it's too late. The man dying on the cross next to Jesus, condemned to death, was convicted of what he had done. Even Jesus said, this day, see you in paradise. That guy had a repentant heart at the very end. The very end. Which goes to show you, as long as there's breath in their lungs, there's an opportunity to repent. How many stories do we know of people that lived a life rebellious towards God and on their deathbed turn? Now you may say, well, that's not fair. Of course it's not fair. So this few weeks ago, God's not fair. He's not fair. Because if he was fair, we'd all have a one-way ticket to the hell of fire. All of us. One lie, one comparison, one jealousy, one smart aleck remark, one disrespectful behavior towards your parents, one cheating on a quiz, condemned to hell. God says it only takes one sinful action to condemn you to hell. Which means all seven plus billion people are condemned to hell apart from Jesus Christ saving them. That's what we fully believe. And Jesus is getting at the heart of the matter. It's not about the murder. It's about the anger in your heart. It's not about you saying you fool. It's about what do you really think about people? Are you viewing them in the way God views them? Or are you just viewing them as someone to belittle? So in, in Romans 12, 18, I love what Paul says. says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it's possible. Now, guys, about a year ago this time, August, September, I um, personally had a series of a lot of uh, meetings that were not fun to have. Um, if you're not aware and forgot, I'll remind you that in 2020, with everything we had going on, um, the church specifically experienced, I was going to say our church, churches at large, experienced a lot of pain, um, a lot of hurt. There's a lot of division in the church. What's interesting is 2020 with politics and racial conversations and everything about COVID and everything else going on, all of a sudden, people's true colors came out, right? Some of your true colors came out, right? Mine did. Well, it's like, uh-oh, we've all been exposed. The, like, like, like the game's up, right? And so all of us probably have people we know just within the church or family that's like, I thought we were good. But then I got a phone call one day, we're not good. Or I got, I got like defriended. Or I got a text and it's like, what? Or they said, yeah, we've left this church. I left my job. I'm not gonna see you at Christmas. It's like, whoa, what happened? It's because of who you voted for or didn't vote for? It's like, whoa, it's because you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? It's because you didn't show up to this rally or you didn't show up to this rally? What, what happened? Like, are you throwing away all previous relationship because of this stance and this thing? Oh, man, so painful. So I'm having meetings of people, and um, as best to my ability, I tried to reconcile. Sometimes you hear the phrase, though, um, hey, it's, it's too late. It's too late. And, you know, someone shared with me recently, they had the same kind of interaction, and they said, when someone says it's too late, then our walk with Christ is up, it's over. If it's too late 
for a forgiveness exchange between people, then the whole thing with Jesus is a total false deal. It's too late, too late for us. I just wanna encourage this church. There are many people that cause a lot of pain in your life. You've gotta be the mature person to initiate, take the low road, and try to reconcile and resolve. But you can't control them. You can't make them say they're sorry. You can't make them change their ways. You have no control over them. You control you. So you say, I'm gonna humble myself, I'm gonna initiate. Guys, there's people that I texted, I called, and I emailed. I knew where they lived, too. And I was like, I know you're getting my text. I know you've got my voicemails. I know you've got my email. No one likes checking it, but I know it's there. And they didn't respond. Some eventually did. And I was like, can I just, before we start, what is the deal? So I just don't want to have this conversation. I said, man, isn't that, that's one thing we got out of 2020. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to talk about it. Just have your stance, dig in. Jesus is teaching us the opposite. When you have a disagreement, go. When you have an offense, go. A misunderstanding, go. Go to your boss. Go to your coworker. Go to your friend. Go to your mom, your dad. Say, hey, this, there's something off here. I want to make it right. We're called to be that. In fact, a little later on, uh, the next verse, Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. That is a figure of speech, meaning that the ultimate penalty one pays can never be satisfied by any amount of money. Because the ultimate penalty is eternal separation, eternal suffering, separation from God. And back to this idea of us, you know, dealing with the issues we have, right? Ephesians 4, 26, 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We've heard that expression before, but do we apply it? Do not let the sun go down your anger. Guys, early on in our marriage with Ashley and I, we've married 15 years, all right? Early on, one of us would get frustrated, upset about something. And here's how it looks in marriage. You get in bed, and it's like one person's like huffing and puffing. <laughs> Pretend to read a book. Pretend to check somebody on their phone. Right? And just, <sighs> or the other person's just quiet. Or just like, like the classic rollover. Show my back. You know what I'm saying? You know how this goes. It's just like <sighs> huffing, puffing, and, you know, and some person's like, I can't sleep. You know, it's just, you're like, you know, the other person's feeling fine. So no, nothing's wrong. This is classic, okay? So it's like, what's the problem? And usually the male is like, what's the problem? I mean, I'm just trying to go to sleep over here. And it's like, you don't get it. You know, this is classic. I'm preparing all of you later on. Okay, usually the guy needs to be like, uh, is there something, the problem? You know? <laughs> if she can't sleep, there's probably a problem, probably with you, okay? So that's usually what's going on. So we talk it out. It's just, oh, and, you know, and so we learned over the years, you used to talk all the way out. We'd go beyond midnight. And I just, you know, I got worse as the night went on. Just like, hey, my best moments were at 8 a.m. today. You're not getting, so eventually we got smart. Like, hey, can we just pause and convene in the morning, you know? And we got good at that, right? But we were committed to at least expressing what was going on. If we simply applied these teachings from Jesus 
to talk to our accuser, the person who's offended us, the person who wants to take us to court, the person who's upset. The, guys, we would actually be like Christians. Do you know that? Like, do you know how utterly different that is in our world today? If you just say, yeah, I was offended by someone, I went to them and I resolved it and I held myself and I loved them and I forgave them. What? You didn't hold a grudge? You weren't bitter? You didn't cut them off? You didn't do this? It's like, no. That's what it means to be salty. It's doing the little things that have a massive impact, which is keeping your heart clean so that it never leads to something greater. But you know, honestly, as I think about this, about going to your accuser before it gets to court and get out of hand, I was fascinated by this. I looked this up. So over the last several years, the estimated number of lawsuits in the United States of America is 40 million. 40 million lawsuits on average are filed at all different levels of courts, okay, across America. 40 million, oh my gosh. I mean, I was mind blown. I was like, that can't be right. Okay, there's about 1.4 million licensed attorneys in America. Okay, so they're each filing, you know, 40 cases roughly a year. All right, so a little less than one a week. 40 million lawsuits, okay? I'm gonna argue this right here. If people actually apply the teachings of Jesus, you need like 10% of those filed. Hey, can, you just, can we just talk about this? Like, did you, have you guys ever seen Dude Perfect? Come on, Dude Perfect. Okay, my boys love Dude Perfect. They're Aggies, just so you know, so that's cool. So, Dude Perfect, okay? So, if you watch Dude Perfect, there's sometimes, there's certain episodes where a guy shows up called the Rage Monster. You know what I'm talking about. So, Somebody will offend him or say something, and it's all, it's all playful, right? But he's like, and he starts smashing things. And he's like, you know, turns into like rage monster, starts smashing cars or whatever, breaking windows. That's just what he does, right? And then the guy's like, whoa, dude, can we talk? What are we doing? Like, he's just chucking stuff, right? My boys love it because, I don't know, boys like things being smashed and stuff. It's funny. Um, I see him have the rage monster. I was like, man. It's funny, it's fun to watch. And he's not like hurting anyone, it's just damaging stuff and they paid for all of it and they make millions of dollars, whatever, they can damage stuff. Um, but I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I was like, we as a society, and I would then go into the church, we're not really good at this. This would be an area of weakness in our society. The ability to go talk to someone that's offended or hurt has disagreement with you. We don't mind texting. We don't mind doing a one-sided email or one-sided post. Remember, that's one-sided. That's not real communication. Just so everybody's aware. That's not. If Jesus was here, he would not condone the one-sided outburst communication. There I got off my chest. That's not reconciliation. Okay? That's just, I don't know what that is. It's like spitting on someone. And then like running away, you know? Um, so we, we got to be above that, guys. We just, if, if you're going to claim the name of Christ on your life, if you're going to say, I am bought with him, I'm redeemed by him, you've got to act like it. You got to be different. You cannot be the same as your classmates, as your friends, your family. You have to be salty. That's the calling here he's giving to people is you can't do the old. This is a new way. Seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added to you. Seek first means applying these teachings and principles in your life. So you actually look like a Christian, which is a follower of Christ, a little Christ. And a little Christ 
reconciles. A little Christ says, hey, can we talk, can we figure this out? Especially if you run a business or work at a company, integrity and all those pieces need to be there. And again, I'm not expecting everybody in society to do the same. That Jesus is not talking to just anyone in the world. Saying, if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna do things my way, this is the way. If you're not, that's fine. But this is the way that we do things. Now we're gonna jump ahead here the last few minutes and go to Matthew chapter five, verse 38 and 42 because it kind of ties in to this whole idea of anger and reconciling and all those pieces. I wanna go to it now. So you, it says in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now let's pause. That's kind of confusing. First of all, if you're a guy and you're like, wait, somebody slaps me, I get the other cheek to slap that one? Why on earth would I do that? I would dodge it, duck, you know, do something. Tackle the guy. I'm gonna sit there and get slapped, okay? Well, let's get some context here, okay? Um, this is an Old Testament reference to the Mosaic law, right? It did teach this in Exodus chapter 21. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The idea is there, whatever's been done to you, do the same thing back, but don't escalate it. This was put in place so that things would not get out of hand, right? So things would not escalate because that's what the mindset was. And remember, as human beings, generally speaking, we like to do plus one, Right? So let's just take something a little more lighthearted. Let's talk about the prank wars in high school, okay? So we did them, right? Toilet paper houses, that kind of stuff. So it starts with like, we're gonna toilet paper a bush. Then they TP a tree. Then you do the whole yard. Then you do paper plates and forks. And you know, then, you, then you do shaving cream. Then you TP the whole house. Then it gets out of hand and then those kids get in trouble. Parents grab them for a month and the show's over, right? It's just, it gets way too crazy. And typically speaking, with males, they tend to go a little overboard, right? So you get to high school, you get to college, it's really a flirtatious game going on, and the girls are like, we're gonna do this, you know? Then it's like their retribution comes back. They're like torching your couches. They're just, just, just you're like, whoa! <laughs> so all the guys in the room, just chill out. You don't, there's nothing to prove with the level you're, we know, males go overboard, okay? So cool your jets, they just wanna hang out, okay? You don't have to ruin their lives with the prank. But that's what humans do. That's what we do, right? And, and you know, what's interesting is that the teachers of the law, this whole eye for an eye, tooth for a toothpiece, um, they would shift uh, the application of this principle um, uh, from limiting their retribution from the civil government to an obligation and personal relationships. The intention of this law was more so for the society and the civil government to work these things out. So in a court of law where they're trying to settle something in that tribal area, whatever, it wasn't meant for, you literally took my foot off, I'm gonna come with a machete and take yours off. Like tomorrow morning, I'll see you at 8 a.m. Like that was not the premise. The premise was this will limit things in society from spiraling out of control to where it goes crazyville. 
But instead, let's deal equally with the offenses. But it wasn't a have to. He was saying this is the limit. Do you understand me? It's not he poked my eye out, I have to poke his eye out. Right? But in a culture of honor, in the sense of you go back to the old days, right, where someone, you know, they, they do something, say something about their family, right, and they want to go do a duel. And what is a God defend my honor? And so someone's going to die defending your honor in that moment, really because someone was offended, right? Some party offended the other party. And so don't think that didn't happen back then too. It was now, someone's going to die over this thing. You hurt my foot. Now you're going to die. I mean, that's what he's talking about. And man, people do that today, don't they? They don't want to pay you back equally. They want to ruin you. That's what society encouraged. Uh, think about all the movies built on revenge. Braveheart is a, you know, it's a, a great storyline, everything. But the whole premise is the whole movie's about revenge. It take most of the Marvel movies. They're mostly about revenge. You do this, we're gonna do that. We do this. And then the next series, the next episode is just more revenge. It's never ending. It's like, we're entertained by it. Yeah, revenge. And it's like, well... Okay, that's not teaching you Jesus. Like, just revenge game? That's not really what we're called to. Um, it's upheld and glorified in society, but not by Jesus. Now, when it comes to the slapping the hand piece, that's always been confusing, right? Um, so, according to Jewish historians, striking someone with the back of the hand was a severe insult. And it was punishable by a heavy fine. But the slapping of the cheek was culturally understood as an insult, not as a physical attack. Does that make sense? There's a difference. It'd be like punching them in the arm versus trying to beat them up to where they're unconscious. It's different, okay? It is insulting, but it's not worthy of retaliation to kill the guy, okay? Even though you were offended and insulted. Which means the intention of this was limiting the revenge in people's hearts, but even beyond limiting it, it was refusing it. It was saying, you've heard that it said an eye for an eye, but I say to you, don't take their eye out. And instead, be at peace, turn their cheek, because you're gonna be insulted, Christians. You're going to be mocked. He's trying to, I believe, prepare them. Um, you're gonna be slapped. And your response previously was to hit back. And I'm telling you, don't hit back. Now, he's not saying there, stand there all day and get slapped silly. Just to be clear. It was a, it was, the concept was, let's refuse the revenge that boils up in us and find another way. It doesn't mean that Christians cannot flee or that blatant violence and evil should be met with just pacifism. That's not what I'm saying. It's in this context of these personal interactions. In Romans 12, 19 to 21, Paul writes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And you know why Jesus can teach us these things? Because he lived it. They called him a glutton, a drunk, a blasphemer. They spit on him. They mocked him. They called him an illegitimate child. He had all the name calls too, but he chose another way. And then lastly, I just wanna highlight this piece about the cloak and the tunic, right? Most of us don't say, I'm gonna put on my tunic today. If you did, that'd be okay. Just people don't know what you're talking about. So under the law of Moses, the outer cloak could not be taken from someone. It's not permitted. Exodus chapter 22. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. And it, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. See, a tunic is like your shirt, but a cloak is like your jacket. Today, it'd be like saying, give them their shirt off your back instead of fighting them in court. His point is this, giving them that tunic, that shirt off your back is the concept of instead of fighting them, instead of, instead of doing eye for eye, it is a letting go and letting God be your defender. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Whether or not you believe that is up to you, but I decided a while ago that I will allow God to be the just, righteous, holy God that he is. He's been faithful in every other area of my life, been faithful throughout history. The prophecies were filled. I believe wholeheartedly there is, he will not allow one thing to go amiss. We miss things, he doesn't. That is for him to sort out. For me, it's to not live with a life of bitterness and anger in my soul. I do not want to be a grumpy old man sitting in a coffee shop at 75 years old, bitter about everything in our world. I've heard too many of those conversations, unfortunately, as I'm working on something, bitter old men sitting there and talking about our world, how broken it is. I want to be someone that's not bitter about that. Although I know many hardships and pain will happen in this world, but I release it to Jesus and then I intercede for those broken things and I actively engage with the broken things to be part of the solution and do all I can do to live at peace with all men. I can't control everything out there. But I control my response. I want to end with this. I'm going to have the band come on up here and I'm going to have a stand as we close this morning. Um, but this, you can go and stand up. This, this last piece here, um, I'll share with you kind of two things. The last piece I'll just highlight is, you know, he says here in Matthew, uh, he says, you know, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two, right? And that's kind of confusing and some of us maybe don't like to walk or run as much and it's like, well, I don't know if I'll do that. And am I disobeying God if I don't go two miles? I and mean, what is the deal? And in, in that day, um, you have to remember Judea was occupied by the Romans. And so what was put in place in that culture was that a Roman soldier could ask of any local person to help carry their pack, their soldier's gear, up to one mile, but no more than one mile. That was policy in the Roman Empire. So if they just went to you and said, hey, carry my stuff, buddy, you had to carry it, one mile. Jesus is saying, hey, 
You can carry it one mile, like everybody else, or you can go two. And the Roman soldier's probably gonna look at him like, you don't even gotta go one. Yeah, I'm gonna go two though. I have no idea how many believers took Jesus up on that, going two, but I've gotta believe there's a lot of Roman soldiers who got to hear about the gospel, who got to be prayed for, who got to, when the Roman soldier said, why are you gonna go two? Well, I'll tell you about it on the next mile. And got to share the story and the teachings of Jesus that probably confounded the Romans were like, who are these people? I believe Jesus' heart in all of this is for us to remember that what's going on here does lead to here, but his main concern is here. It's Matthew 5, 8. It's the pure in heart will see God. He wants us to have pure hearts, guys. We've made mistakes. We've been hurt. We've hurt people, you know? He, God knows that. That's why he put into place in our faith an opportunity to confess, repent, to be, receive forgiveness and to move on. Not to hold over your head for a decade. I wanna end with this story. Um, several years ago, uh, Ash and I, when we were engaged, we, right before we got married, we went on a, a trip with family. Her family and my family went on this little joint trip deal and um, on this vacation. And one night I remember just getting really angry, like upset. And I usually don't get like that. And so she like pulls me aside later. And this is like, you know, my fiance. She's like, I'm about to marry this guy. Is this like the real him? What's going on? You know, so, and I haven't seen this before, you know. So I, we sat down and talked and, you know, I tend to stuff things. So she got it out of me. She's like, what's going on? And I said, I don't know why, but like just this memory came back in my head today that just made me angry. So what was it? I said, well, when I was in high school, I played soccer and we were, my senior year, we were in the, you know, state playoffs and made it to the round of 16. And we had beat some of the teams that were ahead of us in the other rounds and thought we had a chance to go to the state championship game. And, you know, for Texas and high school soccer is a big deal. And we're in this game and we're up one to zero with like five minutes to go in the game. And uh, I played defense and they crossed a corner in. And as I tried to clear it, deflected off me, went on goal, scored on goal. On one, to shoot out extra time, we ended up losing. And, um, you know, I remember my coach that night said something to me that stuck with me. And, uh, you know, more or less just blamed me on the whole season, the whole deal. And this is probably like the best team he'd ever coached in a decade at that time. So we had a lot riding on it. And I remember that after playing soccer for 18 plus years, I had allowed that phrase to kind of summarize a whole athletic career. And I just got angry about it one night. And so she was like, well, we want to do about it. And so graciously, Ashley was like, I think you need to forgive him. And um, so I did that night. I forgave him and said his name and processed that. And it's like, okay, I don't want to let this go. Lord. I don't want, that's like still affecting me, even though it happened, you know, whatever the time, five, six years ago. Well, a year later, I'm at a wedding in Austin, back where I went to high school. And I'm at this wedding, and there's a friend from school, and this coach is there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, you know, it's one thing to forgive somebody when they're far away. You know how that is. You're like, no, I forgave him. Then you see him, you're like, uh-oh, I don't know if I really did. <laughs> it's one of those moments, a real test. So I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, there he is. And so I just like, okay, Lord, I already forgave him, but I got to prove it now. So I walked up to him and said, hey, coach, how you doing? He said, hey, Tyler. I said, how are you doing? I said, oh, good. 
She said, you know what, man, I still think about that game. And I was like, oh. Didn't know he was going to say that. He's obviously very affected by it still. But thankfully, I dealt with that with the Lord before. Because I'm a much bigger person than him. And um, so I was like, I was like, yeah. I said, man, I wish it could have gone different too. I'm really sorry about that. But hey, how are you doing? I got to talk to him a little bit, moved on. And I blessed him that night and moved on. And the test was, his second comment didn't have a hold on me. It, it doesn't mean it didn't hurt in the moment. Do you understand? Things hurt us. We're emotional people. There's a difference between being hurt and that hurt getting embedded. It's like that hurt allowing it to be put in soil where it grows and festers. Jesus is calling us to be a people that deal with those things so that a decade later, you're not sitting around hurting something you should have dealt with long ago. Amen? Here's where we're going to end. We're going to have the band play just for a few minutes. And what I really believe God wants to do this morning is for every single person in this room, every single person watching, you have the opportunity to deal with one hurt, one place of bitterness, one anger this morning. So that we're a step closer, so that the pure in heart will see God. But the only person in control of your heart, your soul, your mind is you. It's not me, it's not anybody else, not your spouse, not your parents, not your best friend, it's you. So I just wanna pray right now and just invite the Spirit of God to come. It says He can search us, searches our minds, our hearts. He knows where we are to search you out and for Him to bring to mind one thing that you've gotta let go of. Because you know, unless I let go of that hurt and pain, I could not have approached that with grace. And when you let go of something, you can't just write it on a rock or a piece of paper and burn it. That's not how it gets rid of. It's still there. You have to release it to the only person that can take it away. Who's Jesus. He's the only person qualified and proven to literally take your sin, take your bitterness, take your anger, take your hate, and destroy it in exchange for something else. So this morning, I just want you to close your eyes with me. I want you just to invite the Lord. Lord, we invite you right now. Would you highlight one thing? Oh, one anger, one offense, one bitter, just one, Lord. Highlight the one you want to remove this morning like a surgeon. Just what's the one you want to remove? And when he highlights it to you, I want you to take it. It's in your mind, your heart. Say it out loud or be quiet. And I want you to give it to him. Say, Jesus, this is yours. And I like to imagine me literally like handing it off to him. And as I hand it to him, he takes it. He deals with it. But then he gives me something in exchange. He says, hey, I'll take that bitter memory and that pain, but I'm gonna give you something good in exchange. Because now you're empty in that place in your heart and your soul, but I wanna fill it with something good. And what I do, I just say, Lord, what do you wanna give me <laughs> in exchange for this pain, this hurt? And I believe it'll highlight something. It may be a scripture, it may be a word, it may be a phrase, it may just be a feeling, something you have. But God knows you. He crazy. He knows how to communicate to you. So just right now, just ask him, Lord, what's the place? I want to be rid of it. Take it from me. And then give me something back good. I believe he's going to reveal that to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.